Pastor Dennis was telling me that uh, when he was out, he said at their church, right after the worship song is over, before he teaches, they've been giving the congregation two minutes to talk and have fellowship together. And they'll put a timer on the screen for two minutes. I said, well, I can't do that here. They already do it anyway. And so, <laughs> it would have timer be four minutes, five minutes anyway. It's kind of cool, though. It's great to have that fellowship time. Well, I'm excited. We are continuing our study through the book of 1 John. We are in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the first six verses of 1 John 4. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. <clears throat> Okay, that was the nasty water. Excuse me. Take that plastic. No, I have one. I just picked the wrong bottle. <laughs> I had two up here. So. Oh, drinking plastic. All right. <laughs> That's right. That wasn't living water. That was like... Okay, First John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that has not confessed that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The time I studied this morning is lovable, not gullible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning to open up your word, to be in this place freely, to hear from your Holy Spirit, to touch our hearts, to give us insight into your word, application in our lives to change us and draw us closer into our relationship with you. Lord, we pray that your spirit would move freely in our hearts this, this morning, Lord, that we might receive all that you have for us today. Lord, we also pray if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to make a commitment to you. They don't know you as their Lord and as their Savior. They've not had their sin forgiven. They're not born again. Lord, would you especially touch their heart today that they would see their need for you, Lord, and they would come to you this morning. So we thank you for this time we committed to you. It's in your Son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Lovable, not gullible. Did you know if you say green beans really slow, it sounds like gullible? How many of you tried that just then? Okay, it doesn't happen, okay. If you did, then you were gullible, alright? You're trying it, you tried it, huh? Green beans, okay. I can't tell you how many times my boys have gone up to me and said, Dad, you got a spot on your shirt, and he points to the shirt. And I get my nose tweaked just about every single time. Now I don't even believe him. Now, now I don't, you know, and, and sure enough, I look in the mirror and I got something on my shirt. It's like, okay. It's called being gullible. P.T. Barnum made a fortune on the theory a sucker is born every minute. And he has many disciples today. The internet has only made matters worse. 
you know, for those that believe that there's actually someone from Nigeria who died and his wife wants to get her inheritance of $4.2 million into the United States and she's going to offer you 20% to help. All you have to do is send her your bank routing numbers and account numbers to get this started. You know, I read that that uh, the, the foolish Americans, I mean, I mean this turned into a very lucrative business in Nigeria. They're making buku bucks over this. One story, Janella Spears, a registered nurse from Sweet Home, Oregon, lost a whopping $400,000 to a Nigerian scammer. She said she started sending money to the scammers in 2005 after she received an email promising her several million dollars from a long-lost relative. Let's bring it into the spiritual world. Today, it's false cults. It's religions luring millions into their traps, promising them fulfillment, promising them happiness, and more. Mormonism is growing rapidly worldwide. Jehovah Witnesses aggressively promoting their heresies just about every country of the world. New age philosophy spreading all over the place. Now this is nothing new. This actually started way back in the early church. See, in the beginning as the church started, there's this incredible surge of spiritual life happening. People were coming to know the Lord by the thousands. And the book of Acts teaches that the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. And the Holy Spirit flooded upon new believers. The believers all shared everything they had with each other. Well, no sooner did that happen when a disruption took place within the church. Several disruptions. We read, first of all, in Ananias and Sapphira, there in Acts chapter 5, who lied. And the terminology that Peter used is suggestive. He said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Then came the wave of persecution. Satan's plan to stamp out Christianity from its inception. And then finally and continually came the false teachers and the false doctrines all the way through till today. Many of these early congregations, they were, they were very footloose and fancy free in that they would give their pulpits to anybody who said they had a message from God. Oh, I have a message from God. Okay, share it with us. And because the pulpits were not guarded, therefore, as a result, the early church became very gullible to what was being taught, leaving them very confused. And so John here in 1 John chapter 4 outlines for us some tests we can apply to see if what's being said is true or false. You know, if you have kids, if you've raised kids, if you've been around babies, you know that they will put anything in their mouths. I've watched babies put snails, rocks, use chewing gum, and you see him pick it up and go, no, stop, and it's just coming right into their mouth. As parents, we must teach our children to keep certain things out of their mouth. In the same way, we must be careful what we allow ourselves to hear, to see, to experience. We must learn to discern and discover whether something is true or false, right or wrong. So if you're taking notes this morning, we're going to see three things. We're going to look at number one, false prophets. Number two, faithful preachers. And number three, fearful people. Number one, false prophets. Look at verse one. John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John begins his word with beloved. In other words, you who are divinely loved by God. And then he gives them this warning. Do not believe every spirit. In other words, don't swallow anything that comes your way. Don't be gullible. Why? Because many, he says, 
false prophets, not just one or two false prophets, not just a few, but many have gone out into the world to deceive. Now, as I mentioned, the early churches today had a problem that they wanted to believe everything that was said from the pulpit or from the teacher's bench. If it had the name Jesus tagged to it or God on it, they wanted to believe it. Now, I want to say I admire that. I respect people who have that kind of loving attitude. You just love the Lord and you just want to have this trust and love that everything you hear is going to be just for you and it's right. It would be nice to believe that, but it's not true. As the title of my study suggests, lovable, not gullible. John says, do not believe every spirit. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Notice, John separates the prophets from the spirits behind the prophets. Do not believe every spirit because false prophets have gone out into the world. Why does he do that? Well, Paul tells us, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. As Christians, we believe and we know that there is a visible world and there's an invisible world. Though it's invisible, it's real and it's occupied by spirit beings. It's been said it's called the invisible war, the struggle between the forces of God and those that stand in opposition to God. Now understand, God delights in confronting humanity with the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of man's sinful condition. And God's sinless solution is the difference between life and death, truth and error, heaven and hell. God desires to impart the spirit of truth to all who come to Jesus Christ. But the opposite of that is found in the purpose of the devil. His desire is to introduce lies and error and sin so that we become enslaved to sin and eventually die. See, whenever there's an activity in heaven, you can bet there's a reaction going on in hell. Whenever God moves, the devil moves to counteract the move, sort of like a chess game. Now, we all know the ultimate winner is, but nevertheless, he tries to deceive all that he can to get to go in another direction. We know that Jesus said concerning the church, the gates of hell should not prevail against her, but the devil has been trying to do it anyway ever since. And he doesn't get much press today. He doesn't make the headlines because so many people dismiss the devil as not being real or just a myth. But he is behind the false teachings and the false prophets that are out there today when John and when John wrote these words down here. The point that John is getting at is, is that a false prophet is bad enough. But look behind the teacher to the teaching. Look behind the false prophet and consider the source, the spirit. That's what is so dangerous. First Timothy chapter four, verse one, the apostle Paul writes this. Now the spirit expressly says, and that's the Holy Spirit, that in the latter time, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Literally translated, doctrines that have been taught by demons. The, the source is demonic. It's not just some guy had this way, wild and crazy idea that they came up with on their own. Behind it, the source are demons. You know, every prophet is a mouthpiece. Everyone who says, thus saith the Lord, is a mouthpiece for someone, for, for some source, either demonic source or the source of God. Paul says there are deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, you know, I'm guessing not any of us has confronted a, a spirit being, but I, I bet that almost all of you have heard their propaganda through their mouthpieces, through their prophets. Some of our political leaders today, I have to say, are just 
mouthpieces for deceiving spirits, cult leaders, cult groups. So they just seem like men and women with crazy ideas, not really biblical ideas. In reality, they're spewing doctrines of demons, uh, deceiving spirits. Now, in 1 Timothy 4, Paul goes to show exactly what they were believing at that time. But my point is, the source was the deceiving spirits. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 19. What am I saying then? That an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God, and I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Now, think about Paul's question. He asks, What's the big deal about an idol? What's the big deal about a rock? You know, it's just a piece of stone. It really doesn't talk. It doesn't really have any power, does it? No, he says, but, but an offering to idols, you're actually having fellowship with demons. In other words, you're being manipulated and guided by demons. Let me give you an example. People that are Zen Buddhists are Zen Buddhists because it works. Now, let me explain before you run me out of town as a false prophet. You hear people chanting. Oh, they're, they're chanting and they're doing this chant over and over again for this job. And all of a sudden they get this job and they say, look, it's proof. It works. I chanted and I got what I wanted. No. The devil can bring about results in a person's life to keep that person deceived. It happens all the time. The devil will try everything possible to give that person what he asked for in order to keep that person deceived and distracted from God and a real relationship with him. It's, it's a moth effect. That's why John is telling us to examine the spirit behind the person, behind the mouthpiece. You know that, that some of the New Testament books were, were only written to expose false doctrine, to show us that it's out there. Jude, Second Peter, uh, Galatians, part of First Corinthians, part of First John, because Satan's business is he's actively trying to deceive. Goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. There, the, the very first in, in God's first creation, man and woman, Satan started with the corruption of God's word. The devil came to even the very first thing he said is, "Did God say that you should not eat?" Doubting the word of God. And then there was the distortion of the word of God. Satan said to Eve, "Did God say that you can eat of all the trees in the garden?" Well, yeah. Is that all God said? No. Yes, he said, all the trees, but the one that's in the midst of the garden. And finally, the devil came back and said to Eve, if you eat this, you shall surely not die. Come on. Flatly denying the word of God. See, that's not new. Satan has been doing that same thing ever since. He's been coming to people, uh, denying the word of God, distorting the word of God, and flat out lying about the word of God. That's the way the enemy works. That's why we're told to be cautious. And John tells us, again, verse 1, test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. See, our, our tendency is to believe first and test later. Oh, yeah, man, that sounds great. Yeah, this is great. Only to go, oh, man, that's really not biblical. I mean, think of it this way. You know, what if you knew that your food was poisoned? You go, oh, that's great. You know, I'm going to eat it first and I'll test it later. No, you wouldn't do that. See, this word for test here in the original language was used to describe the test that they would use for certain metals that were valuable. Before you acquired gold or silver, you would put it to the test to see if it was genuine. You know, those that collect, those of you that collect rare coins and stamps and, and art, you're aware that certain forgeries and, and frauds, they have some value, but the real value is in the genuine article. 
So for those who believe that they have a responsibility to accept and believe everything and everyone that claims to come from God, take the test. Take the test. Don't believe it right away. Give it a test. In fact, we're commanded to test it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. The Bible encourages us to, to think, to discern. In fact, there's a gift of discernment that is given uh, to people. Now, let me modernize this. When you go to a Christian bookstore, be careful. Use some discernment. When you hear about some good book that everyone in the Christian world is reading, be careful. I remember years ago when the book The Shack came out. It was so popular. I had people giving me the book telling me how wonderful it is. It's not wonderful, folks. It's a misrepresentation of God. Instead of describing God as the majestic supreme being that, that he is, the shack represents God as an African-American woman named Papa. Oh, it's such a great book. Really? Are you reading the same book that I'm reading? But people got all bent out of shape when I said it's not a good book. Maybe you're bent out of shape right now because I said that. My point is just be cautious. Just because a book is popular, it can be very deceiving and damaging. And there are many out there, many in, in Christian homes. Oh, this is a great book. Man, be careful. Oh, but this person endorsed it. Oh, it changed this person's life. Well, perhaps they're deceived as well. Why? Because there's many voices in those types of books. But let me say this. There's only one book you can read without a filter. And that's the Word of God. Amen? Every other book needs to be tested. Every article you read on the Internet, every story you hear about on the web... Check it out. Don't take it at face value. But the Word of God, man, it's there. You can trust it. But every preacher, every radio sermon, every podcast you listen to, what I say, test it by the Word of God. Scrutinize it. Don't believe every spirit. Now face it, there are some people, they're just gullible. I mean, anything that says God on it, oh, it must be right. It's got to be Christian, man. You've got to listen to it. Man, you've got to read it. And they'll swallow it hook, line, and sinker. And they believe things so easily. Now, you know, I want to say, though, that believing is one of the things that marks us as believers. I mean, we're called believers. But one of the things that should also mark us as believers is that he or she does not believe everything. Jesus put it this way in Matthew seven fifteen: Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And that's how they come to you. They come to you like sheep. They're not going to knock on your door and say, Hi, I'm a false prophet and we're going door to door to see if you'd like to, to believe a lie, okay? And just distract you from a relation with God. And anyone can figure that out. But they come in looking like sheep. They carry Bibles. They have big smiles, you know, literature with the name of Jesus written all over it. And if you're the type of person that, that says, Oh, if Jesus' name is on it, it's got to be right, then you're in for a heap of trouble. Because behind it, is the doctrines of demons. Remember the Wizard of Oz that was on TV the other night. I, I got to watch a little bit of that. You know, Dorothy and Toto and the gang, you know, and all the characters that come back after they got the Wicked Witch's broom, you know, and she melts, hey, I'm melting, and got the broom, and, and uh, we brought the broom back now, you know, give us what we want, and, and arm the powerful Oz. And all of a sudden, Dorothy looks to the right, and she sees the curtain open just a little bit. And she sees this guy mending the handles off like that, and she realizes she's been duped. She rips open the curtains and calls him a fraud. See, that's what John is doing here. 
He says, before you believe all the, the, every spirit, rip open the curtain. Don't believe just anything. Always test everything. Now, let me say this about testing everything. John is not saying, put an evil eye on everything you read and hear and discriminate. Remember, you know, test means that to, to give it the benefit of the doubt. Test it so it can be approved for good. Approved in the, in the end, in the end. I mean, when you go to school and you take tests in school, the teacher's motivation wasn't to watch you fail. I'm not give this test. I can't wait till they fail. No. It was to approve you so you can pass. That's what the word implies. What I'm getting at is we shouldn't walk into every church and every bookstore with this kind of evil of an eye. Now, yeah, we should use discernment, but understand that they're innocent until proven guilty. Give them the benefit of the doubt that they're genuine, and if not, then discard it. But there are just some people over there that just have this sarcastic kind of bent where they think, uh, you know, they're on the God squad, I mean, they're the gospel Gestapo, you know, and I'm going through and I find something wrong, and you have I mean, something wrong, I and mean, every book that's out there, aha, I, I told you, man, this guy's bad. Be careful in that. There needs to be a balance. Heard a story about a woman who called up her grocer very angrily, saying, I sent my son to pick up five pounds of apples, and he's come home with four and a half. I think you ripped me off. He said, Madam, I test and weigh my scales professionally every single week. I assure you my scales are accurate. I suggest you weigh your boy. Good wisdom for us. Not only must everything be weighed in light of God's revelation, we ourselves, we who do the testing, we must be weighed. You know, we, we test ourselves to prove. The early church did this. We have writings that are not in, in the Bible, writings that came after the New Testament. In fact, one such is called the Didache. It was a church manual for pastors. It came after the New Testament. It's not inspired scripture, but it was just a manual. Because itinerant preachers would come through town and say, oh, I've got a message from God, I'm a prophet. So they needed some way to distinguish it. So this Didache is a list of tests of how you can tell a false prophet. Let me give you a couple of them. For example, the Didache says, let every apostle who comes to you be received as a Lord, but let him not stay more than one day, or if need be a second as well, but if he stays three days, he's a false prophet. So if he comes to your door and says he's a prophet, and he doesn't leave your house, okay, he's a mooch. He's not a prophet. Kick him out. Here's another one that said, when an apostle goes forth, let him accept nothing but bread till he reaches his night's lodging. But if he asks for money, he's a false prophet. Whosoever shall say in a spirit, give me money or something else, you shall not listen to him. What if we use that test today by the preachers we hear on TV or some preachers that are out there? I think, oh man, it wouldn't pass. Even the Apostle Paul stood the test when he said of those in Berea in Acts 17 11, these are far more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received their word with all readiness and search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Paul put himself under the test. Test me. See if what I'm saying is so. Otherwise, it's a deceiving spirit. There's a great story that comes to us by a man named Victor Ernest. He was a uh, spiritist before he became a born-again Christian. He had once believed in seances and, and mediums until one day a friend came to him and showed him 1 John chapter 4 and the verses that we're reading about this morning. As he read it through, it blew his mind that it said, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are of God. Now, 
he thought the things that he was involved with were of God because they were supernatural. So he said, okay, next time I'm going to test the spirits. So the next seance, the medium spoke. Supposedly the spirit said, I will grant each of you at the table three questions that you can ask. Victor Ernest said that this had never happened before. So he said, all right, I will test the spirit. His first question was, okay, spirit, do you believe that Jesus Christ is a son of God? And there's, there was this calm affirmation that said, yes, I do. Great. Went around the table and came back to him for a second question. So he asked the spirit, spirit, do you believe that Jesus Christ is a son of God, the savior of the world? At this time, the spirit rebuked Victor Ernest for his probing. By the time the third question came around, he said, spirit, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and the savior of the world and that his blood can remit a man from his sin? According to Victor Ernest's book, I Talked with Spirits, he writes, the medium was thrust backwards in his chair, hit the floor, and was passed out. He later came too. That so blew his mind because of how he applied First John 4 and detested that he quit Spiritism, became a Christian, and eventually a pastor. So, we have false prophets, but we also have the spirit behind the false prophets. That brings us to point number two, faithful preachers. You see... The real issue is Jesus. Who is Jesus? John says the one who can be trusted, the one who can be listened to, all depends about what he says about Jesus. Here's how you'll know if he's a faithful preacher or not. Look at verse 2. By this you'll know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that has not confessed that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So the very first test to see if this person is a faithful preacher or not is, number one, the incarnation. Does that person speaking in that podcast, that pastor, does that book, does that group, does that church believe that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh? That's the idea behind the word incarnation. Do they deny the deity of Christ? The number two, do they say the same things about Jesus that God says about Jesus? That word confess in verse 2 and in verse 3 means in the Greek to say the same thing about. And the idea is, do they continually, constantly say the same thing that God says about His Son? If they don't, then it is the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, when John wrote this, he had somebody in mind as he's writing this, because, and we brought up this guy's name before, it's a man named Serinthus. He was a false prophet whose teachings were very popular. Serinthus said that Jesus was not God, He was just a man, but a very good one, an obedient one, but still just a man. He taught that Jesus was born naturally. He lived obediently to God, but at his baptism, the Christ spirit, or essence, came upon him. And he would say that that his essence enabled Jesus to do the miracles, enabled him to, to teach wonderful things for three years. But then right before his crucifixion, the Christ spirit left him so that when Jesus died, he died merely as an individual human being. The Christ spirit was preserved from suffering. So they were denying that Jesus Christ was God come in the flesh, denying the incarnation. They had no trouble with Jesus' divinity. It was his humanity that they were denying. Listen, the, the teaching of Serinthus continues today. Right up the street on Seminole, there's a group of people who meet in what they call themselves the Christ Unity Church. On their website, you can see for yourself, what they believe about Jesus, this is what they teach. We believe that Jesus expressed his divine potential and sought to show humankind how to express ours as well. We see Jesus as a master teacher of universal truths 
And here's our way shower. In unity, we use the term Christ to mean that divinity and humankind. Jesus is the great, great example of the Christ in expression. You see how they separate Jesus from Christ? Same thing Serenthus did almost 2,000 years ago. You can't get that teaching if you just read the Word of God. Test the spirits. See what they say about Jesus Christ. Anytime you get a knock on the door and someone wants to talk to you about the Book of Mormon or the New World Translation or the Jehovah Witnesses, don't slam the door in their face. Simply smile and ask them, well, who do you say that Jesus is? Is he God come in the flesh? Do they continually confess the same things about Jesus that God says about Jesus? If not, then the source is that of spiritual deception. There are demons behind that according to the Scripture, according to what Paul said in 1 Timothy 4, of people giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, you can get mad at me all you want for saying Unity Church up there is teaching doctrines of demons, but, but I'm not the one that's saying it. God's Word is telling us that. I'm testing what God's Word said in comparison to what they had posted on the website concerning who Jesus is. I'm just doing what John told us to do. I found out that it doesn't line up with what God says about His Son. So therefore, it's a doctrine of demons. So too is a Mormon doctrine. So too is Jehovah Witness doctrine. It's a doctrine of demons based on who Jesus is according to Scripture. And that's why Paul said in 1 Timothy and what John says here in 1 John 4. Now, on the other hand, John is saying the faithful preacher will acknowledge that Jesus is God. He's come to this earth in the flesh, both humanity and divinity wrapped in one. Then he freely gave his life for the sins of mankind. He rose from the dead three days later, and all those who put their faith and trust in him and the finished work of the cross can and will be saved. That's the faithful preacher. So we have, number one, the false prophets. Number two, faithful preachers. Finally, our third point, fearless people. Look at verse four. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I love that promise. You who are of God, you have overcome them. They've got nothing on you. Verse five, he goes on. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, he's giving a word of encouragement. He's warned them. He's given them a way to test them. And now he says, now, wait a minute. You guys, you don't have to be afraid of these guys out there. You're of God. In fact, go through verses 1 through 6 and look at all the times that he speaks of being of God. And then he says, because he was in you is greater than he was in the world. Listen, we need to believe that, folks, wholeheartedly. So the next time you do get the knock on your door, and you notice that they have some propaganda in their hand, and they're walking up to your door, and they want to talk to you about God, you don't need to fear. In fact, I think you'd be surprised if you just say, Lord, greater is He who is in me than He who is in the world. So Lord, I'm going to rely on Your Spirit right now just to speak through me. Let's go for it. And with a smile on your face, you open that door, and a loving heart, you let them know who... Truly, Jesus says, God, come in the flesh to save us from our sins. See, I think you'll be greatly surprised at what God can do through you as you realize greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I've heard testimony from some of you just about how God spoke to you through, spoke through you to someone. Those who have gone to the go team and you walk up to someone and all of a sudden you come back to me and say, I just started talking to this person and, and God just gave me the words to say and, and, and I knew and they had questions and the words just came. It was just the Holy Spirit working. It was just, it's awesome. Why is that? Because 
Greater is he that is in you. You've got the Holy Spirit living in you as resident truth teacher. In verse 24 of John chapter 3, first John chapter 3, John said this, And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. You have nothing to be fearful of. Now let me say this. You have to give the Holy Spirit something to work with. Okay, I mean, you need to know God's Word. <laughs> you need to be in God's Word. You need to memorize God's Word so the Holy Spirit can bring up God's Word as you're sharing with people the love of God. But remember, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. That will make you a, a fearless preacher. It's like this. The walls of the submarines that descend two miles into the Mariana Trench off the Pacific Ocean, they're constructed of thick steel plates to withstand the tremendous pressure uh, placed upon them. But the pictures taken from such heavily protected submarines reveal something amazing. Fish swimming two miles below the surface of the water with scales no thicker than that of any other fish. How can that be? The answer is simple. The pressure on the inside of those fish is equal to the pressure of the water around them. That's the beauty of Christianity. To realize the one that is in you is greater than whatever pressure threatens you on the outside. Finally, I want to go back to verse 4 and verse 6. John says in verse 4, You are of God, little children. And in verse 6, We are of God. Let me tell you exactly the point that John is making. As Christians, you, all of you, you know, if you're a Christian, you belong to God. You're the dear children of God. You're beloved of God. You belong to Him. Your source, your life is from God. Those that are in the world, their source is from the world. It's, it's demonic it, you know, it, it, it's the spirit of Antichrist that's in the world. We are of God. It's a different pronoun. You are of God. They are not. We are of God. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. They do not. And he says in verse 6, He who knows God hears us. Hears who? Well, John, it would be, you know, here's Matthew and Luke and Jude and Paul and Peter, the apostles, all, of the, all these are God because you've got the Holy Spirit living within you. These false prophets, these false teachers are not. He says, whoever is of God will listen to us. You can tell a true believer because they're going to have a hunger for God's word. They're going to want to hear God's word because they know it's been inspired by God. You know, don't say, well, I, I believe in the scriptures, plus I have a few other books that are just inspiring. No. And look at verse 6 again. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Listen, I would always recommend that you hide behind the scriptures. That's the safest place to be. It's not safe to say, well, you know I believe this because I just, I feel that it's right. You know, I, I, I feel it's pretty good. No. I believe this because the Bible says so. I always try to hide behind the text of God's word. You know, sometimes that steps on people's toes. They won't be happy with what I say, but I have to remind them that I didn't write it, God did take it up with him, but, but I would encourage you to do what he's telling you. You know, back in the, Middle Ages, right before the Reformation, ignorance and superstition pervaded the church and religion was just formalism. It was dead. It was cold. They went through the rituals. In fact, the people were forbidden to even read the scriptures. They weren't allowed to read their Bibles. Can you imagine that? They would say, well, let us tell you what the Bible says. But the problem was, many of the clergy before the Reformation, they didn't read the Bibles for themselves. And so, in the 1500s, at a debate in Germany, Martin Luther stood up and he said these words. A simple layman, armed with the scriptures, is to, believed, to be believed above a pope or a council without it. I mean, picture Martin Luther and, and the time of what's going on when he said these things. 
the bravery of that. Then he went on to say, add to the Pope's decree on indulgences, I say that neither the church or the Pope can establish articles of faith. These must come from Scripture. For the sake of Scripture, we must forsake popes and councils. And from that, Martin Luther's famous words, solo scripture, came to be. Only God's, only the, the Word of God determines what we do. Not a man's traditions or cultures. It's a Word of God. William Lyon Phelps of Yale University, a, professor, a professional educator that taught from 1892 to 1933, he said this. He said, I thoroughly believe, thoroughly believe in a university education for both men and women, but I believe a knowledge of the Bible without a college course is more valuable than a college course without the Bible. Everyone who has a thorough knowledge of the Bible may truly be called educated, and no other learning or culture, no matter how extensive or elegant, can form a proper substitute. That's great. Good words. So, be lovable, not gullible. Test what you hear. It might seem to be benign, but test the spirit and the source behind it. And don't be afraid. Don't fear those that are deceived. The red lights will go off. You'll know. You'll hear something because you've been taught the word to go. But that is just not right. So then you compare to what is written in God's word. And by the Holy Spirit and the power inside of you, you share with them the truth of God's word and stand back and watch and see what the Lord will do. I'm going to close with this. George Whitfield, the great British evangelist, was speaking to a man about a soul. And he asked the man, Sir, what do you believe? Well, I believe what my church believes, the man replied respectfully. Well, what does your church believe? Well, the same thing I believe. And what do you both of you believe? The preacher inquired again. Well, we both believe the same thing, was the only reply he could get. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure what you believe. Maybe you're not following Jesus Christ today because of deception. Maybe you've been deceived. You've listened to some other, other philosophy, some other mode of thinking, some teacher. Something in your mind is keeping you from Christ. It's because you're deceived. Let me tell you, God's words tells us in John 14, 6, that Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way of salvation. Jesus is truth. All others are, are half lies or full-blown lies. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, I pray that you would turn to Him today, that you'd give your life to Him. If that's your desire, I want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray as we close this morning. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And how powerful, Lord, You speak to us through Your Word. And how, Lord, Your Holy Spirit is when each one of us as believers, that greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. So help us, Lord, to be faithful preachers, Fearless people, Lord, to do that which you've called us to do, Lord, to stand against the doctrines and the, the doctrines of demons and the deception that's going on, Lord. Give us wisdom, Lord, through your word. And finally, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't have a relationship with you, they don't have their sin forgiven, they don't know what it means to, to be born again, Lord, to have this relationship with you. I pray that you touched our hearts this morning, that they would see their need for you to turn from their sin and to know you as their Lord and as their Savior. For you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to you except through your Son, Jesus Christ. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here this morning you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? You want to be born again today? You want your sin forgiven? If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning?
just between you and the Lord, I want to give you that opportunity to come to him this morning. I want to be born again. Just raise your hand so I can pray for you. Father, we thank you that as believers, Lord, we have the power of your Holy Spirit to live for you. And so, Lord, as we go our way this week, Lord, give us those opportunities to reach the lost, to share the good news with the lost world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.